Hi, I'm Lauren Stiving, and welcome to this episode of the Career Success Podcast. Today, we'll be joined by Blandine Jean-Paul to discuss what companies must do to stay competitive in the labor market. Blandine is a brand strategist with a proven ability to drive volume and equity growth across portfolios. She has driven double-digit sales increases of 72% through extensive research and creative integrated marketing. Welcome, Blandine. Thank you, Lauren. I'm excited to be here. Yes, thank you for joining us. So today we're going to discuss a bit about how to stay competitive in the labor market. You know, at the forefront of the agenda for most companies is the race for talent and getting it's getting increasingly challenging to attract and retain talent. If you compare the labor market, you know, from when you first entered to now, how would you say that the labor market has changed? Oh, I I would say it's starkly different. I, I mean, I, I joined the labor market in the early, uh, the mid late nineties, and you know back then, you know even marketing wasn't what it what it is today. So it was really more of a you know kind of try to get in, get your experience, and cut your teeth and grow through the ranks. I think there's been a, a subtle shift in that thinking now when you're hiring entry level roles. The talent is definitely not as patient to kind of you know, work through the system and understand, you know, how to kind of build their brand within a company. They come in with strong brands. They come in as social media mavens already. Um, They come in with serious expectations that didn't exist, you know, 15, 20 years ago. I think we were all willing to just be happy we were getting the big experience um, and then growing our way in the organization. Um, A lot of the younger, especially the millennials, they're not staying with companies more than a couple of years because once they feel as though they haven't gotten what they needed, they move on very quickly. Mm-hmm. It was very normal 20 years ago or even 30 years ago to stay in one company for your whole career, I think. But now looking at such skills as adaptability, agility, learning, um, you know, are really key to be successful. Would you agree with that? Or how do you see that playing out in terms of skills needed today? Well, I think it's really important. I think when, you know, I, this is actually a very uh, interesting question. I think companies that pride themselves in being open to diverse talent. And I mean diverse talent mean crossing industries. I myself, I've crossed industries a couple of times in my career, three times actually in my career, and I found it very fruitful. And But I've also noticed there are certain types of companies that benefit from that. There are those who are the, you know, kind of the risk-taking, the hungry companies who have some veteran staff that's been there for 15 or 20 years, but also put a lot of value in that new talent that's coming in that's going to re- rejuvenate and really bring real change to the organization to really accelerate growth. Then I've been to companies where, you know, it's not accepted as well. You know, senior manager wants to bring in new and fresh talent and explore industries. But then when, you know, they bring that talent into the fold, they get sucked into kind of the melodramatic space of what, where we've been and where, we, where we're used to. Um, mm-hmm. And it's hard to kind of battle through that. So I think that there's a, quite of a, a paradigm. I think the companies that have done the best, succeeded the most in this space, are the ones that are willing to really break frame and um, invite all thought versus group thought, you know, and really, mm-hmm. uh, you know, look at diverse talent as a big opportunity versus a, a hindrance or a fear factor that their organization needs to be worried about. Mm-hmm. And what do you think companies must do to attract the best talent? I think they have to be open to really developing talent. I think one of the things that um, that I hear from, you know, I was, I'm going to use millennials as a term because those are the ones that I'm hiring right now. And, and in general, 
they want to be they want to be seen, they want to be heard, um, and they want to be and they want to learn. And so, I think in order for you to attract new talent, you have to promise them an opportunity to really build them to the leaders that they want to they want to be long term. I think it's no longer okay to just promote someone and promote them all through the ranks and kind of you know grad, congratulate them for a job well done without you know kind of thinking about their leadership skills holistically and how they're going to become the bigger leaders of the of the business in the future I, I think that's what they are happy about and what will retain them within the company is having that exposure and being able to feel as though they're learning every single day mm-hmm yeah, I'm sure you would agree as well that being transparent and being authentic and genuine is also something that that's very interesting for them. I had heard some years back that they said, you know, um, the workforce that's entering today, they want to know what religion the CEO is, even if they don't identify with that religion. It's more like the transparency and diversity that they're interested in. No, absolutely. And I think it's important because I, I and I, that is so true because I believe that this generation and some of the some of the, you know, the Gen Xers, you know, that are uh, on the cusp of the of this millennial generation, they are more open in themselves. I mean, this is the most kind of, you know, social media voyeuristic culture we've ever had in the society. And so people want to like you and know about you to feel as though they can follow you. Uh, I think that's kind of you know, the the most successful CEOs have teams that say, he's amazing. He he knows my name. He's really connected to me. I, I understand what he's about personally, not just professionally. And I think that that's, that also helps people be really kind of feel that they're indoctrinated into a culture and that they can grow within the company. Mm-hmm. As well, I know it was also traditional in the past to maybe limit your workforce from networking or really being visible. And I think that that's also changed a lot, that people are going to more networking events, going to more conferences and seeing the benefit and not being afraid that they're going to lose their people or share confidential information, but more the the sharing of, of knowledge. Well, I think, again, that is so true. And that also, it tells you the type of companies that are succeeding in this space, the companies that want to expose their talent to conferences, to learning opportunities, other companies that are able to retain them longer, those who kind of shy away. There are still many companies who feel as though, I don't want my my senior executive going to this marketing conference because she might get poached or she might talk about competitive information. You should trust your people. Um, And if you are investing in them in this way, you'll get get that return tenfold. I mean, it's always proven that when you give someone an opportunity to shine and to be exposed to new things, meet new people, network, and build their brand, they appreciate you for that opportunity more so than they would resent you and decide to pick up and walk away. Uh, But I also think that when you open open them up to these opportunities, be prepared that you also have to then deliver on the results. So if I've learned that I've made the extra step, the millennial wants to know that I did all these things. I spent the last two years building my brand, building my network, learning more about the business, taking the leadership um, coaching. I also want to see the reward at the end of the day. And we can't be slow to the reward with this generation. Mm-hmm. And what companies, are there any specific companies that stand out to you that you think are, are doing it right? I mean, the newer ones are always uh, in a different space. The Facebook, Googles and, of the world, they are constantly, they've kind of changed how networking events happen now. I mean, it's, you see their executives all over the place. Same thing like Nike. I mean, it's some certain brands you see that they put their brand in front 
with their people. And that's important. Uh, and I, and, and it like, I think it's a key distinction. Put your, you showcase your brand with your people because maybe you're not poaching right there at the conference, but people see that as, oh, wow, they let their senior director come and stand in front of an audience of 1,500 people and talk about, you know, uh, you know some consumer and analytic profile or whatever it was. That's inspiring. And those companies who aren't doing that need to, be, need to take note. I think it's really important that companies understand that that is a part of keeping great talent is exposing them and putting them out in front and having them be a badge of what your business is about. So you can mm-hmm. track this said-like talent back to your company. And as well, um, how do you think that companies should be differentiating their consumer marketing from their employer branding, or should they even be differentiating that? I, I personally don't think that. I think they're all the same, to be honest. I think you have to live and breathe everything that you put out there. It's all part of the single, the singular brand promise. I think that's also a challenge when you have companies that have multiple brands within them. I know that that then makes mm-hmm. it you know, a little bit more challenging. But I think when you have an ESPN, which everything is all about ESPN, the consumer brand and the and the corporate brand need to match, need to need to align. That's important. That that's what drives why people have this affinity for this brand because they love what they see from a consumer perspective. And then when they see, you know, who represents the brand, it all matches. It it comes back and it it, it pays back twofold. I think when you have that opportunity, you should split it as much as possible. If you're a company like Hasbro that has Nerf and all these other things, I think you may have to think about having a corporate brand um, as well as a consumer-facing brand, but their linkage has to be clear as well. So the, mm-hmm. you have to make sure that you're you're making sure that that promise is still bleeding through on all the sub-brands as well as the mother brand. And just in terms of attracting these talents, obviously the interview process is a key part um, in the candidate experience. What do you think makes a, a great candidate experience? Um, you know, I think... What I've seen is when you when you allow, it's it's a bit interesting. I think the the hardest interviews I've seen and 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 from a candidate perspective is when you walk in and you're not really able to just express yourself as as naturally as you possibly can. And I think that that's when folks are you know trying to push down. This is my corporate culture. This is my this, and how do you it change that? Why don't you just ask me about me? Uh, I think candidates like when you just ask them about me. Like, what is your, what are your interests? And that goes back to what you talked about before, where this this generation wants to know if the CEO is a animal lover. You know, that's important to them, and that's a, that's a key distinction for them. It's the same way when they come and sit in front of you and they want to apply for the job. Yes, they want to talk about their skills and what they've done, but they also want to talk about the type of person that they are. And you, as a as a hiring manager, should also want to know what they're about beyond just the superficial what's on the resume, because that's what you want to bring into your culture. Folks that are open, different, uh, lively, bring, bring life, breathe life into an organization that maybe needs some life because it's, you know, been used to operating in one way and needs someone to come in and shake up things. Or you may want a more pragmatic, pragmatic personality coming in who's going to help put some balance to a, a chaotic situation. You need to un- uncover that. And I think that makes the best candidate experience when you go into that level of conversation with a candidate. I think you get more from them in that space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think also something that um, a lot of people don't realize is how much influence it has on who you're meeting and how you're meeting them. So mm-hmm. you know, which people in the organization are involved in the interview process, how the interview is conducted. I think now they're realizing that it's better for them to meet more people, both for the company mm-hmm. and for the candidate. And I completely agree. If it would be uh, two interviews, one with a hiring manager and then with a hiring manager's boss, it's very different than, you know, meeting 
four or five, even six people in the organization and getting to know them. And I think it also likes that. Yeah, absolutely. Meeting your peers, one or two of your peers is important. Even meeting your direct report from the onset. Mm -hmm. So you walk in with, you know, kind of an idea of what kind of relationship you may have and how you can form that. I mean, because those are important because imagine, you know, many times you're walking into an organization and you could be, you're nine nine times out of 10, you're accepting a role that somebody on that team did not get. (laughs) So why are you not, why are you not being open to making sure that that new candidate uh, is, seeing how the organization is going to embrace them from all levels of the organization. I think that's extremely important. Mm -hmm. And also I would say the speed is, I mean, the same is that uh, thinking about the speed of the interview, the timeline of the interviews, I think it's not Mm -hmm. as important. Of course it should be a, a, a normal timeline. I would say four weeks would be something normal, but I think even more importantly is just setting out those expectations. So saying from the beginning, it's going to be four weeks or it's going to be eight weeks and really try to stick to that just so that the candidate can manage their way through the the process as well. Um, But in some cases it is about speed. So, you know, if, if that company took longer to make an offer, you can lose candidates that way. But I think more importantly is just setting out that timeline so that the candidate knows the process and where they stand. And so it's clear too, and then giving regular updates. I, I'll say that that's always been something that when I've ever been in, in the job situation where I get the regular updates, I don't even have to call. They were calling. Hey, we just want to let you know we're still there. We're just trying to work out. Some, oh, oh, great! That's a great conference. That makes you feel like oh, they, they care about me. They're not just worried about trying to hire me. They care about how I feel, what's going on in my life, how this kind of process. It kind of can be intrusive mm-hmm. in what you have to do in your current role. Um, and I think that's always important. That shows you the, the caliber and the character of a company that speaks and talks that way. Mm-hmm. Well, Blandine, I appreciate you joining me today on the Career Success Podcast. Oh, this is awesome. I'm really, I'm really excited. This has been awesome. And I, and I really feel honored that you chose to speak to me today. So I want to thank you very much, Lauren. <laughs>